0: This week, I'm speaking to Rhys Proudfoot. He's Head of Innovation and Impact Investment at WWF Australia. That's right, the charity with the panda as its logo that's worked hard for decades on conservation and saving animal habitats. They're going beyond their projects in the field and they're also investing in systems change by supporting high-impact enterprises. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, And I'm asking the big questions about the business of sustainability, the new economy, and how your spending and investment decisions can have an impact. Reese found his way to WWF as a campaigner, but he knew all too well the challenge of raising awareness as the world grows noisier, as well as raising money when people have so many worthy causes in front of them. Like all good startup founders, he made a pivot and helped launch Panda Labs, WWF's impact accelerator program. Since then, they've seeded and grown enterprises like OpenSC, a supply chain platform that tracks food sources on the blockchain, and more recently, the business Impactio, which brings people together around a central challenge and then links project leaders with both supporters and investors. Their most recent challenge is called Innovate to Regenerate, and it's a partnership with Damon Gamot, who's released a new short film, all about bringing people together to regenerate Australia. I'm sure you'd rather hear Reese talk about it, so let's get into it. All the links and show notes are on my website at johntreadgold.com. And if you'd like to leave a review, which would be greatly appreciated, you can do that over on Apple Podcasts. All right, here's my conversation with Reese Proudfoot. Here we go. great to have you on today thanks for coming no worries thanks for having me john now look charities like wwf are all about positive impact they're the originals and traditionally it's been about raising money from donors funding grants giving grants away but it seems like you guys are doing a lot more than that you're going a lot further these days there's partnerships big global challenges even even impact investing is coming into the mix So in 2022, what's the mission of WWF in Australia?
1: Our mission is always impact-based, impact-first. So in Australia, we focus on four key environmental impact areas, species and biodiversity, oceans, climate and energy, and food and agriculture. And cutting across all of that is social equity. They're the outcomes that we aim for. How we do that, how we achieve those outcomes, comes into, into three key theories of change. First of all, field-based conservation programs, which is kind of the stuff that everyone knows us for. Actually getting out in the field, protecting biodiversity ecosystems and critters. But then we also have quite a strong and developed policy and advocacy program. But then also the one that people don't know so much about is what we call our market transformation program. So this is supporting economic transition to reduce the impact to nature. And recently added a fourth or an extension of our market transformation work, which is in venturing. So this is in supporting or nurturing impact ventures or the impact investing sector to help to create impact at scale, because it is such a huge and developing opportunity. And the impact sector is growing in sophistication and in participants. It's not just NGOs anymore. It's not just charities or government. Obviously, many organizations now see themselves as playing a role. driving impact and so what wwf is trying to do is, is help to nurture this developing and growing sector
0: that's right and i think it's interesting isn't it the way charities were always impact first and the finance industry was clearly investment first and when you add impact to the finance sector and you add finance to charities you get this coalescing and these groups come together i think that's great and i think that's the way it should be we don't need these silos and it's not really competition it's just getting the job done so that's great tell us about panda labs is that how you came to work with wwf what was the pathway there
1: well my background's actually in international development and then i spent a few years as a, a climate campaigner sort of 10 years ago and at the time we just weren't winning you know and we needed to be experimenting with new ways of creating the kind of impact at scale at the scale that we need and so our innovation program really came out of a need to experiment with new approaches to solving complex problems. And that could be climate change, it could be biodiversity, it could be food, food security, but I guess a willingness and an openness to experiment. And that could be with emerging and advanced technologies. That's obviously the one that everyone goes to first, but also it could be with new ways to celebrate and amplify indigenous knowledge, or it could be new ways of empowering communities to create change at the grassroots level, or new ways to work with capital markets and finance. And so we take an experimental approach, but then look for ways that we can quickly scale up any successful solutions using WWF's, what we call privileged assets, you know, our network, partners, brand,
0: so on and so forth. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned that the privileged assets, because I think the question of what is the WWF value add is a very interesting one. And you have some really major partnerships with big organizations. And that's the, the assumption, right? Is that WWF has those assets and then that's why they can manage those partnerships. So can you tell us a bit more about what it is specifically about WWF that, that, that brings that power? Well, WWF is a big and quite an old NGO. It's been around for
1: 60 years and has offices in around 80 countries around the world. So it has a big footprint and a big network and a global presence, and therefore it can leverage that network to open doors. Access to markets, for example, is a a really key one. But also over that 60 years, and in Australia, it's about just over 40 years, we've developed IP and how to solve complex problems. and you can kind of see NGOs as the custodians of problem-solving IP. They've got all this IP that they've developed over many, many years. But the situation we find ourselves in now is how we make that IP available to others to do problem-solving with. So for example, when it comes to partnerships, the first venture that we launched is a venture called OpenSC. We launched that a few years ago in partnership with BCG Digital Ventures. And OpenSC is all about making supply chains more sustainable, reducing friction in supply chains so you can increase price premium, so on. It really was born out of WWF's knowledge that we'd built up over many years in how to transform markets and reduce impact in supply chains and increase transparency. But combine that IP with the knowledge of BCG Digital Ventures, which obviously came in with a lot of expertise in advanced technologies like blockchain and AI, which is when you sort of combine those two very powerful areas of making supply chains more sustainable and also the opportunities that blockchain represented in terms of trust and transparency, you can see how you can start to create something which is really quite powerful. And so what we try and do with Panda Labs is look for opportunities to use you know, what we call WWF superpowers and combine them with the superpowers of a partner organization that has complementary skills and expertise and can do more with WWF's IP, then we can do on our
0: own. Well, And it's a very different output than what you'd usually produce, right? Because OpenSC, can you tell us a bit more about the organization? Is it a business? Is it profit-making? How does that work?
1: Yeah, OpenSC is an impact venture. It's a separate entity. It spun out of WWF a few years ago and it operates with some of the major brands um, around the world that control a lot of global supply chains. And what OpenSC does is captures the data on the way that a product was produced at source. So it could be uh, the way that a product was harvested, or it could be where a fish was caught in the ocean, whether it was caught in legal waters, whether it was caught on a verified trawler. It stores that data in a secure way. And that's where blockchain comes in. And then it makes that data available, it exposes that data to people and organizations that need to see it. So it could be other businesses along the supply chain, or it could be customers who you know, we know are getting more and more interested and committed to knowing where their products come from. And so, OpenSC solves a very real problem around the provenance of goods in supply chains and sustainability of produce and how you can guarantee the sustainability of a, of a product. But it is born out of you know, environmental NGO, but is very much a, you know, a profit-making entity
0: that operates you know, on its own. Oh, look, I'd love to talk about that all day. It sounds so interesting, but, but that's just one of the organizations, one of the enterprises you have spun out. And I'm also keen to dig into Impact IO because it's such an interesting platform that you've built. People can propose a project, they can jump in and collaborate, they can also invest. Tell us more about how that works and what some of the outcomes have been. We know that there's plenty of
1: capital out there. There's plenty of investment dollars out there. We speak to investors and they tell us this all the time. And what is really missing is a way of identifying impactful and trustworthy ventures to invest in. And at the same time, we also know that there are still market failures when it comes to where some of that capital is available or where is it directed to. And so what we try and do with Impactio is, well, it's a marketplace. It's an impact marketplace for connecting impactful ventures or solutions with subject matter experts that can help them be the best that they can possibly be before they're put in front of funders and investors who ultimately help to bring them to life. And so we help with pipeline for investors, but we also help to support the entrepreneurs, and it could be community entrepreneurs, it could be social entrepreneurs, it could be from businesses, startups, but we support them to make sure that their solutions are the most impactful they can be and, and the best that they can possibly be by connecting them with subject matter expertise and also some of the privileged assets that I mentioned before from WWF, like access to our subject matter experts or access to markets around the WWF network or customers and so on. Impactio works by running challenges, theme-based challenges. We're running a big one at the moment on regenerative economies or regenerative ventures called Innovate to Regenerate and identifies solutions aligned with that theme and ultimately puts them in front of funders who can help to bring them to life. And in this case, with Innovate to Regenerate, one of the funders is WWF. We're putting our own grant funds into these solutions to help them get through that early risky stage and again, make them more investment ready when the time's right for investors.
0: Innovate to Regenerate, such a great project. And that's also a partnership with Damon Gamo, I believe, from, from, he made the, the 2040 film. And, and there's a short film that's been released along with it, which really does, it. it's incredible following along the, the trailers for it, because it's really every touch point that I try to bring with this podcast in terms of, you know, ecology, bringing people together, getting our capital moving in the right direction, project development. We've got modern technology and platforms. It's really exciting. And I try my best to make the stories on good future practical for people and find ways that they can get involved. It's not always possible with institutional impact investing, but this is at the other end of the spectrum and really trying to get people active and, and get people engaged with it. So yeah, how does it work on the ground and, and what are some of the ways people can get involved? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think you know we, we certainly
1: think that there's a role for everyone in the impact space and whether that's helping projects, whether it's building ventures themselves or, or supporting ventures or investing in ventures. And so really, this is what Innovate to Regenerate tries to do. But I'll rewind a little bit and just explain where it came from and the reason why we're working with Damon and his team. Two years ago, coming out of the bushfires, we obviously found ourselves in Australia in a pretty pivotal moment where there were big decisions and questions being asked actually about the direction that Australia should head in. And we know that this is the critical decade when it comes to action on climate change and biodiversity. And so obviously there are some pretty fundamental economic shifts that need to happen. And so we ran a four-month listening campaign around the country with communities that have been impacted by bushfires, but also with investors and, you know, business people and rural and remote communities. And we asked them what their vision for australia would be in 10 years time and what we heard was really quite amazing there was a lot of you know agreement across the spectrum in terms of people were craving for a return to this cleaner greener past and not everyone referred to it as environmentalism but everyone really really was craving for this returning to to a connection to place and a connection to nature and this cleaner, greener past, but also in making sure that there was economic opportunities for local communities and that young people weren't leaving the regions and that, you know, we can restore social capital in communities around Australia, which had been so badly impacted by COVID. And so a lot of these things sort of came together when you start to think about the concept of a regenerative venture, you know, a venture that is supporting place, connection to place that is supporting, you know, environmental regeneration in some form, whether that That's regenerative agriculture, whether it's local energy systems, whether it's new ways of protecting wildlife and biodiversity, and also the opportunity to support local economic development, skills development for young people. And so we saw an opportunity to tell that story about a community-led recovery over the next 10 years in Australia, where our economy shifted to a regenerative economy that supported people and place. The story in the film is actually the words of people. Every solution that is represented in the film that Damon has so beautifully pulled together has come from the words of of people around Australia who have shared it. And so what we're trying to do, in addition to telling the story of of Australia earlier in 10 years time from the mouths of Australians is also say, now let's build it together as well. And so what we did, in addition to asking people what their vision was for Australia, we said, and, and what do you need in order to get there? And you know, what's stopping you from doing this at the moment? And we know that it's not a shortfall of ideas. There's heaps of ideas out there and it's not a shortfall of, of investment. We know there's lots of investment out there as well. It's actually just the resources that local entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs need to get their ideas through that conceptual stage, through testing and prototyping and getting them to the stage where they're ready to scale. And so Innovate to Regenerate is all about identifying these exciting regenerative ideas from around the country, whether it's climate and energy or regen ag or biodiversity and getting them the support they need in terms of capability building support or access to subject matter experts or indeed access to cash to capital just to get through that that testing stage and or give them some scaling capital. And in doing so, seeing if we can bring this vision in the in the film to life. And so that's really what the program's all about.
0: Well it's a pretty staggering achievement. And I think right from the outset there, it's built and designed very well because in this sector we can see the challenges and the tendencies to say okay i'm going to launch a project i'm going to solve all of those problems but instead you wound back and i think it takes a lot of the ego out of it and you said well no we're going to go out there and we're going to see what the people want and as you said i think four month tour there that's pretty broad and you listen to everyone and that's another common thing that i think is lacking is genuine listening rather than you know sitting in an office in sydney and, and deciding where capital should go And so you started off, you did the listening, pulled all these pieces together. But then beyond that, you've also built a platform that, again, brings in lots of diverse groups, right? It links people and funding and skills. Was that always the intention? I mean, is that the secret source of impact yet?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the secret source of regeneration is the network, the underlying network that connects us all. If we act in silos as individuals, we're not going to get there. And whether that's connecting money with where it needs to go, or whether that's connecting expertise and knowledge with where it needs to go, or whether it's connecting two people or organizations that are trying to do the same thing so they can learn from each other, I think we have to be building and nurturing this regenerative network around the country of people and solutions and, and capital. And that's what we're trying to do through this program. And so there really is a role for everyone. There is a role for people who are keen to submit a project and just have a crack at something that meets the criteria of environmental regeneration, rebuilding social capital and sustainable business model. But then there's also roles for people that are just wanting to contribute their time and their expertise to support some of these projects, whether that's in you know, environmental impact, or it could be community wealth building, it could be technology or engineering or commercialization strategies, product market fit. I mean, there really is a role for everyone. And then ultimately, you know, a role for funders and investors as well in helping to bring these ideas to life. And so we really have try to make sure that everyone can see a role
0: for themselves in this program. And what's an example of one of the projects that have been put forward?
1: Well, we only launched a couple of weeks ago, so they're still working their way through the system and EOIs will close on the, expressions of interest will close on the 31st of March with full applications due about three weeks after that, but there is going to be rolling rounds happening throughout the year. So there's plenty of opportunities to get involved and we'll have our first portfolio of projects promoted in an impact day on the 8th of June where we are inviting anyone to come along and check out the portfolio and and, and see how they'd like to be involved. But to give you an idea about some of the the projects that have come through previous challenges, we have run similar challenges, certainly not on this scale before, but similar in trying to nurture the regenerative economy. We had a really fantastic venture called Black Duck Foods, which is an Indigenous-led social venture from Yuan country down in Northern Victoria, that helps to redevelop traditional food growing practices and shares this knowledge across Indigenous communities and provides training opportunities. There is a really interesting venture up in Kaura called Clean Cowra, all around community-owned energy. And in their case, they are converting local biomass waste into high-value commodities like gas or fertilizers. So really helping to to sort of build competitive advantage for that region in these high-value commodities, all the while driving wealth back into communities. Or you've got really kind of future-focused ventures like Circular Economy Village. I mean, these guys are thinking about the future of our built environment and how we live together and how we build more resilient communities. I mean, ultimately, as we've seen around Australia over the last few weeks, you know, community is the bedrock of resilience. And so, how we nurture community and how we live together in community is obviously a hot topic. And what these guys are doing is thinking about zero waste circular economy communities with waste to resources hubs and regen ag systems and sustainable water management. And you know really quite interesting. And they've partnered with Bellingen Council to think about what it could look like on the ground. In the urban environment, you've got just as many really interesting community-led ventures as well. Like you've got Food Connect up in Brisbane, where you had 500 community investors chip in 2 million bucks to buy an old shed and turn it into a sustainable food operation. So there are really exciting regenerative ventures that are happening in urban environments and also in you know in regional environments as well across the spectrum of you know indigenous knowledge and energy and food and biodiversity so i think what we're really trying to do with innovate to regenerate is say just have a crack you know there are lots of opportunities out there let's get them through that testing and prototyping phase so that we can get them ready for investment
0: the model's pretty interesting you've got community and ecology at one end you know, which is really organic and and I guess traditional. But then at the other end, you've got this high-tech platform using blockchain. I think it's so interesting that you're pulling it all together. And you have mentioned blockchain a couple of times there. We'd better not get too deep because we know that that's quite the rabbit hole. But but how are you seeing the utility of the accounting system that's at the back of Bitcoin and crypto? I think
1: it's going to be hugely useful and influential. And I think we are through the initial hype cycle, which is great, where all use cases under the sun were being thrown around and it was hard to sort of tell the wood from the trees and know what was genuinely useful and what was a solution looking for a problem. And that's okay. We need to go through that phase with these kinds of emerging technologies. But I think now things are starting to settle down and we're seeing genuine impactful use cases for blockchain. As I mentioned, obviously in the food traceability world and the supply chain world, it's a clear one, but I think also in, in the NGO space, unlocking payments for impact. And I think the use of smart contracts in helping to automate payments based on automatic verification of impact is a really interesting space. Now, again, not super mature solutions in that space, but you can really see a really big role for it there. And then once you can start to automate the verification of impact, you can start to think about green bonds and other sort of applications as well. So there are lots of opportunities. I think we are at the stage where we need to just stay focused on what we're doing. But obviously the NFT space is very interesting as well and one that we're, we're keeping an eye on. Although I think there is a little bit more hesitancy in the NGO world with NFTs just until the, the energy issues get worked through.
0: Sure. Well, look, you've certainly got your finger On so many different issues, it's quite staggering. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Then you know you're probably similar to me—a high-functioning generalist and enjoy it all. And as you mentioned, you need to have that personal discipline to stay focused because there's so many other interesting things that you also want to focus on. But you know, you mentioned you were a campaigner at one stage. Where where did it all come from? Right from the start. My background originally was in media.
1: And I spent a couple of years working in the kingdom of Tonga. I was working on the local English language newspaper out there. And this was 10 years ago. And I was there at a time of, I guess, it was a bit of an awakening moment for me. There were were lots of global climate conferences happening. And I think the um, developing countries were being increasingly marginalised. And I was sort of witnessing firsthand the impacts of climate change on the islands, uh, the Pacific islands, and seeing a mismatch in terms of what was happening on the ground and what the global community was doing about it and i think that sort of gave me a bit of a shake-up and yeah looked for an opportunity to get involved at the systems level in trying to i guess correct for some of those imbalances and came back to australia in 2011 and cut my teeth in the climate world at the time of the pretty ugly debate around the carbon price and saw a need to be telling stories differently you know, ultimately everything that we do is about storytelling, just didn't feel that the climate story was being told in the right way. And so look for an opportunity to get involved in helping to solve that problem.
0: Amazing. Now, that's a really great journey. So many different touch points. And I think distilling it down to storytelling is very interesting and, and close to my heart. And I find, yeah, in the world of finance, storytelling is the tricky one, but- just just as important, right? Well, that's just it. Just as important. You've always got to do it by stealth. And I think everybody reacts more when they're hitting the heart rather than in the head and you kind of have to take both approaches. But yeah, that's right. You know, an anecdote that really talks to someone's sort of primal needs is is so much more effective than talking about the figures and the features. So that's it. And that's why
1: it's great that there are storytellers at the top of their game, you know, like Damon Gamo and others who are now helping to articulate just what is going on in this space and speak to people to their heart, like you said, you know, that there is more dedicated brain power coming into this space now, which is just so heartening to see. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's a real treat to get to work with these kinds of storytellers as well.
0: Well, that's it. Damon's impact has been quite profound. We had him on the podcast when he released 2040 and talked about that journey. And it was really powerful because he wasn't talking. I mean, obviously he was talking about the challenges of of climate change, but he had solutions. He was talking about the future. He said, no, this is an opportunity and we can lead rather than being paralyzed by fear. And so, you know, that's something I I maintain and hold on to. I think it's really, really powerful and a really good sort of personal mantra of staying optimistic. Oh, absolutely.
1: And, you know, having lived through the carbon price debate where it was not a good example of, of storytelling, I, I still remember the campaign to sell, quote unquote, sell the carbon price, where we know the importance of talking about, you know, solutions and pe- people want to be on the winning team. They don't want to be on the losing team. And so if you talk about losing, it's not making yourself very attractive. But I remember, you know, the main sort of campaign for that led with, how much will you get as if this huge ethical global environmental issue could be boiled down to you know a few dollars and cents. And of course, it's a losing frame to use when you start to play in that world for people where you know you are needing to engage people on a bigger moral issue. And for me, I think it was a bit of a wake up moment as well in terms of the need for profound and impactful storytelling that tells a positive story about the kind of future that we want to get to rather than sort of getting stuck in, stuck in the weeds. So yeah, no, I think it is such an important space and, and it is really great that there are powerful storytellers doing this work now.
0: That's right, that's right. Well, look, from storytelling to my favourite question, which is a question about what you're reading, what's a book that you could recommend?
1: For anyone that's interested in regenerative economics, you can't go past Donut Economics by Kate Roworth. It's an easy read and a really interesting read as well with plenty of case studies around what is happening around the world with this shift towards a more regenerative economic model. What I'm reading at the moment is something completely different. I'm reading a book called The Lark Ascending by an author called Richard King. And it's a nonfiction book about the connection between music and the English countryside and the spirituality of that connection to the countryside in the UK. And... Not the kind of book that I'd normally read. I'm a bit of a music nerd, but it's a really, really slow book. And I found it really interesting that I just couldn't put it down. And I do tend to move it a million miles an hour. And I think for me, having a book that forces me to slow down and read things really slowly is a good thing. And so I am strangely enjoying this book at the moment. I think taking things a little bit
0: more slowly and yeah, it's a good one. Great. Finding balance in all things. And that's right. I think turning to the simplicity of a book is is the antidote to having our hand on our phones all day. Well, look, before I let you go, Innovate to Regenerate, it's going around the country. Is it going to have a, a general release? Is it going to be sort of in cinemas? What's the run rate?
1: Yeah, well, the film is called Regenerating Australia and the innovation challenge is called Innovate to Regenerate. bit confusing, connected, joined at the hip. Absolutely. It is on screening tour around the country at the moment and you can find a screening near you at regeneratingaustralia.com. And there is also an opportunity to see the film when it comes out for general release. It will be available for everyone to watch, I think sometime in in April. The screening tour continues through to May. And then there are also opportunities to host screenings of the film in your own workplace or community or school. So yeah, jump on regeneratingaustralia.com for information about the film. Or if folks are interested in getting involved in the Innovate to Regenerate Challenge, just jump onto the Impactio website, which is impactio.global. You'll find the Innovate
0: to Regenerate Challenge there with all the different ways to get involved. Amazing. We'll put all the links on the website so people can find that stuff. And so exciting, so practical, something for everybody can engage with and at the least jump on and have a look at all the challenges as they come through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, we really try to make sure there's a role for everyone. So I do welcome and and invite everyone to jump on board in, in whatever way suits them.
0: All right, Rhys. Well, thank you for all of your insights today. Great to catch up with WWF and where it's up to and the uh, progress with impact investing, which is pretty exciting. So keep up the good work and stay in touch. Pleasure. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me.